0: it's the rush fan cast it's steve and jerry jerry may the fourth be with you <laughs> it's may 4th yeah
1: star wars day
0: very exciting yeah it's the rush Fancast. we are back and you can find us on twitter at rush fan cast. instagram the rush cast email jerry the rush cast at gmail.com and this podcast jar is available everywhere you find podcasts
1: everywhere
0: And the bass intro today, Jared, done by our good pal Lex. So, Jared, I uh, I have a Twitter poll for you. Wow, really? Yeah, of course. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed Cinderella Man, and you recall that I asked what your favorite Man Rush song is. Oh, yeah, of course. So I threw it up as a Twitter poll. The options were Working Man, Cinderella Man, Digital Man, and New World Man. Now, you said New World Man is your favorite. Yes. But what do you think Rush fans say?
1: I think that Rush fans say Digital Man.
0: No, it was really close though. Working Man won 33%. Of course. New World Man came in second at 28%. So this was really close.
1: Yeah, that's close.
0: And Digital Man came in third at 26%, which means Cinderella Man brought up the rear. Only 13%.
1: (sighs) Poor Cinderella Man.
0: You know, I would have voted for Cinderella Man. I don't think I voted on this one. I don't know why I didn't. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, I forgot you vote on your
0: own polls. <laughs> I vote on my own <laughs> polls. I get a say, don't you think? Sure. But I would have voted for Cinderella Man, and it came in fourth. Wow. So what do I know? Your vote would have turned the tide, maybe. I think it would have made it, you know, 13.2% instead of 13%. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting a lot of votes. That was 460 votes, Chair. Wow, that's So great. my vote wouldn't have, wouldn't have turned the tides at all. Oh, Steve, every, every vote counts. I would have had to stuff the ballot box. Maybe I'll do that <laughs> next time. Just vote a yeah. hundred times. I'll create a whole bunch of Twitter handles and vote a Ste- hundred yeah. times.
1: It'd be Steve and Deve and Meve and Treve.
0: <laughs> so today on the Rush Fancast, Jar, we thought we'd do something different. We're going to have an interview for you coming up in a few moments. But first, uh, we wanted to talk about the Neil Peart Commemorative Task Force that was just created a couple of days ago, they're going to be deciding what the Neil Peart Memorial at Lakeside Park is going to be.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's very cool. I would love to be on that task force.
0: Well, the cool thing about it is the public is going to be able to submit concepts at a meeting that they're having later this year. I know. I think we should go to that meeting. You really want to go to that meeting? How great would that be? We should find out what it is, go to St. Catharines, and go to the meeting and present our idea. What do you
1: think? I wonder if it's um, Canadian residents only, though. Could we pretend we're Canadian residents? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think we can get away with that. No. Maybe we can go there and maybe talk to the mayor and the council, or maybe even the members of the task force.
0: The city council approved the task force's terms of reference, I guess, a week ago Wednesday, and appointed Mayor Walter Sensdick and Port Daly House Counselor Bruce Williamson and Carlos Garcia to its membership. So maybe we can get one of those guys on the podcast to talk about this. That would be interesting.
1: That would be great. I would love that.
0: So we asked a couple of our listeners. We threw out an email to our listeners this week, asking them what they thought the memorial should be. We got a few responses, didn't we?
1: We did. What did they think? We got an email from Steve and he said, in keeping with Neil's embarrassment about being famous, I think the only appropriate memorial have to be very understated let's face it he'd hate to have a statue of himself that fans could take a selfie with that wasn't neil a simple plaque with the lyrics to lakeside park maybe a photo of what it looked like back in the day
0: i agree with that i think neil would not be comfortable with a statue at all no i 1000 percent agree with that i don't know if i agree with exactly what he thinks it should be i'll give you my idea in a minute but right but I think he's got a great point. There. Yeah, I think so too. And I think Neil's family would know what he'd be comfortable with and what he wouldn't be comfortable with. Right. I think they may go for an idea such as that. I'm curious what other people think as well.
1: We have another email from Candem Conti. And she said, I think a bronze plaque with the name Neil Elwood Pratt, the professor pert with his birth date and date of death, along with the penned lyrics of lakeside park, Underneath the heading and maybe one of his most famous lyrics underneath that, like the measure of a life is a measure of love and respect. Then at the bottom have a pair of cross drumsticks.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. You know, I didn't think yeah. of the lyrics. That's, that's actually a good idea. Maybe a plaque with the lyrics to Lakeside Park on it. Yeah, maybe. That's a great idea too.
1: Yeah. I have another one from Chris, longtime listener, Chris. He said also that he thinks Neil would be embarrassed by a statue and he says, Someone should make a sculpture of one of the photos that Neil's wife Carrie took of Neil holding drumsticks. There's some there are a couple of images from her book that are pretty cool. I can show you I can show you it right now. It's on the cover actually of her book Rhythm and Light.
0: You know what's interesting? That is exactly the idea I had. You're kidding. Yes. Carrie Nuttall is his wife. Yep. She's a photographer. And the book Rhythm and Light, the image on the front with the hands and the sticks. Yeah, I thought a bronze statue of that, just small, maybe on a pedestal. Yeah. With a little with a little plaque, maybe surrounded by flowers, something small, understated like that. A statue of just his hands with the sticks.
1: Yeah. Life-size hands. Yeah,
0: and but not a statue of his his whole body or a drum kit or anything like that. That was the same idea I had.
1: Right. And it would work well because, you know, it brings in the family element too. Yeah.
0: Oh, I think it's perfect. Yeah. That's a great idea, especially since I thought of it too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's, a, it's a front runner in my mind.
0: I heard from Kevin Longino on Twitter. He suggests a statue of Neil saluting or waving to the crowd at the end of a show. Remember how Neil would stand up at the end of the show and hold his hand up, wave to the crowd? Yeah, yeah. So um, Kevin's idea was a statue of him in that pose. That's interesting. In front of his drum kit. Now, if they were going to do a statue, that might be a good one to do. I, I don't think they're going to. I think I think everybody so far has gotten it right that I don't think Neil would have been comfortable with a statue.
1: No. But if you were to do one, that would be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that would be great. The question is, what are your thoughts, Jared? You know my thoughts. You know the listeners' thoughts. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, I like to um, try to imagine uh, fanciful things, I suppose. I guess I'll start with, um, have you ever been to the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C.? Yes. USA? Yes, absolutely.
0: It's, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's one of the more beautiful memorials ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's great.
1: But specifically because it's not a person. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not your usual, you know, ode to war, someone on a horse or someone with a gun. You know, you can see the most amazing part of it. And I didn't come up with this myself. It was from a podcast uh, called Studio 360. They did an episode a long time ago on it. The marble is polished so that you can see a reflection of yourself as you're reading the names.
0: Oh, wow. I, I, I didn't notice that.
1: Yeah. I only noticed it because of the podcast. And it was done on purpose, you know, as a reflection. You know, these people who gave their lives in a war, that could have been you. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's very, it's very, with with that knowledge, it's very, very powerful. And since Neil, when he, in his um, acceptance speech from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he quoted Bob Dylan, who said, the highest purpose of art is to inspire. So this is the idea. Okay. (laughs) If there could be a drum set, right? A A replica of one of Neil's insane drum sets, right? And have the sticks. Not don't have a person, but have the sticks like on the drums, like in motion, mm-hmm. on the drums, and you could sit behind it, you could sit on the on a throne or whatever. But it would be of marble that you could see yourself in the drums.
0: Oh wow, that's cool.
1: Neil always was like, you know, he that he wasn't anything special, which of course he was, but you know, anybody who puts in the time and the practice can do great things. And I think if you're sitting behind a replica of Neil's drum kit and you see yourself, I think that's pretty inspiring.
0: Wow, that's great. And I think Neil's family would be on
1: board with that too if that's the way they went. So yeah, if we go, that's what I'm going to pitch.
0: Okay, I think
1: we should try. Yeah, we should at least attend.
0: We'll find out when it is and if we can go. I mean, right now, I don't think you can cross the border. So it would have to be at a time after COVID-19 when we could actually go to Canada. So that's number one. That's one, yeah. And number two would have to be a date we could actually get up there, which is about a 10-hour drive for us. Sure. But I think it'd be fun. It would be great. A nice rush road trip. Yeah.
1: Another chance to visit Canada.
2: Yeah.
0: Speaking of rush road trips. Yes. We're going to be talking about rush concerts today on the podcast. A lot of our listeners have asked us to talk more about the concerts we attended. So that's what we're going to do today.
1: Yeah. That was a great segue, Steve. Pretty good, right? Smooth as butter.
0: And today on the podcast, we have a special guest, Mark Irwin, Rush fan, artist, and executive editor at Inside Editions is joining us today. Mark, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Mark, first, I would just want to say we really appreciate your support of the Rush fancast from the very beginning, six months ago. You've been on board right from the, right from the
1: start, and we really appreciate it.
2: No problem. I love my yeah. fellow Rush fans, and I love how enthusiastic you guys are.
1: I would definitely uh, even say that if not for Mark getting in touch with us about uh, interviewing Skip and Eric about wandering the face of the earth, I don't think that we would have the listenership that we have now. That gave us a big, big bump.
0: Yes, it did. Mark, thanks so much. My pleasure. So why don't you you start by telling us your Rush discovery story? How did you discover Rush and what made you the huge fan that you are today?
2: Well, when uh, when I was in high school, my folks moved. We moved like kind of halfway through my junior year into another part of San Diego where, you know, I moved away from all my friends. It was at a time before cell phones. Um, so I wasn't allowed to make long distance phone calls back to the other part of San Diego where all my friends were. So I kind of went into this whole new situation knowing nobody, very different culture, very different part of San Diego. And uh, so I didn't, have a, I didn't have any friends. And um, I, ended up, I ended up surfing with and kind of like just listening to music a lot with. I'd go over to his house after school, and we'd maybe smoke a little pot and maybe <laughs> listen to uh, various <laughs> kinds of music. And um, he turned me on to Caress of Steel. Uh, his, his older brother had given him the album on vinyl. And I, I went over to his house, and he hands me the headphones, and he's like, you just got to hear this. I put on the headphones, and my mind was utterly blown. I had no idea Rush was so heavy. I had no idea just how how deep their catalog went. I was just very unprepared for something like that at that time. And um, from that moment on, I just I went right down the rabbit hole. You know, I immediately started tape trading with people to get you know copies of Permanent Waves and farewell to Kings and fly by night and, you know, just hearing those albums in their entirety and going, Oh, how have I not known about this? You know, they, it just blew me away. So caress of steel is kind of my,
1: my deep dive. That's an interesting way to start caress of steel.
2: (laughs) That's what everybody says. When, when people ask me my favorite album, people are like, what's wrong with you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get involved with working with rush at inside Editions,
2: Mark? Well, Insight Editions kind of started as a premium coffee table boutique publisher. So they would do big books, and oftentimes they would package them for other publishers. So say HarperCollins wanted to do a book on Bruce Springsteen. They would go to Insight, and Insight would actually build this beautiful coffee table book. Because most uh, book publishers are not really set up to do that, and Insight was uniquely set up to do so. Um, so the, very early on in Insight Edition's history, they were famous for their music books. So they did books with Bruce Springsteen, The Beatles, uh, Bob Marley, Grateful Dead, etc. And uh, over time, they became a publisher themselves and started moving off into pop culture. So they started doing things like Harry Potter and Star Wars and things like that. And they kind of left the music stuff behind. But there's still kind of an old guard at Insight that really wanted to do more of the music books. So right before I was hired at Insight, they did a book with Metallica, because Insight is based in the Bay Area. Um, Metallica's actual base of operations was like three blocks away from Insight's offices. So they did this book together, and it ended up becoming a New York Times bestseller. It was all about the making of Master of Puppets, and Insight immediately was like, "Oh my gosh, we have to do more of these books." But Who do we do it with? What kind of books, you know, (laughs) what are the bands that we should be reaching out to? And that happened right when I was hired. And I was hired to do their comics. um, But because I was into rock and roll and all that kind of stuff, they kind of foisted that task on me to build this list. And of course, I put Rush at the top. And, you know, Rush, I wanted to do a book on moving pictures. Thankfully, over time, I had become close with David Calcano of Fantunes. Uh, who is a Rush licensee. And David brought me into contact directly with Peggy Ciccone, who is managing Rush effectively, uh, their day-to-day business. And I put forth a proposal to her to do this big moving pictures book, and she very politely told me no. Uh, (laughs) And then said, uh, however, we have uh, this other project that we'd like you to take a look at. If you're able to turn this project into a book, then maybe we can speak later about the moving pictures book. And I said, Oh, excellent. That project was wandering the face of the earth. And at that time it was, it wasn't quite cohesive. It was more of um, a book of lists. Uh, There wasn't a lot of photos. There wasn't kind of all the narrative. The narrative wasn't quite cohesive. So we took all of that. Uh, We worked with an editor. I worked with uh, Skip and Eric, obviously, we reached out to a ton of fans, many of whom you can see their names in the back of the book. And we just started compiling this thing. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Toronto um, and go through Showtex archives, seeing stuff that has never seen the light of day, covered in dust, that they didn't even know they had. So it was really fun and invigorating and uh, exciting. And, and what was funny to me is in high school and beyond, any of my friends, any people that you talk to, my family, my poor suffering family, will tell you I'm the biggest Rush dork there is. Right? What I learned during the course of making this book is I'm not I I
1: I am not a Rush expert at all. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what I have learned. Oh, Steve totally. and I have learned that. Yeah, we're among, not Rush among,
0: esper- experts at all.
1: Yeah, uh, among our family members who can't. Stand us talking about Rush all the time. We're you know we're geniuses about Rush, but <laughs> get us in a room full of real Rush fans, and we're kindergartners.
2: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I I, I know that I know your pain.
1: <laughs> so, what are the other books Rush related that you're involved
2: with, Mark? Well, as I mentioned before, uh, you know I'm good friends with David Calcano uh, of Fantunes. So when David started working on the uh, Farewell to Kings book, he asked me if I would guest edit that. So, I, you know, I was another set of eyes for him. So I edited that book for him. I also did the, a book called Crash, which isn't about Rush. It's about the world's greatest drum kits. But, of course, Neil is featured in there. And um, that was based on a collection. An individual who does um, audio, actually, he's a collector. And he has a warehouse in Miami full of the world's greatest drum kits. Everybody from, like, Carl Palmer's famous stainless steel kit all the way through Alex Van Halen and Stuart Copeland and Buddy Rich and all of these guys, including Neil. So it's basically a big book of photographs and down to the nitty gritty detail about how those kits are assembled and all the the various parts and all of the tooling and artistry that goes into building those kits. So it's a really unique book. um, But if you're into drums,
1: it's amazing. Yeah. I want to get myself a copy of that.
2: And, uh, (laughs) Uh, lastly, um, I worked on uh, the graphic novel adaptation of Clockwork Lives, and I was lucky enough to work semi-directly with Neil on on that. And I say semi-directly because at the very beginning of the project, I was informed by Kevin Anderson um, that I could not, I would not be, I would never be on the phone with Neil. I would never get Neil's email or anything like that. But he would pass along all of Neil's comments directly to me. And I, I got all of Neil's requests at the very beginning of the book, which is, you know, Neil wants all of these things to happen. And once I fulfilled all those requests, I would get like the Neil says great job or, you know, or it would actually come from Neil uh, copied and pasted. So, so that was a really fun project to work on. And uh, I believe I'm not entirely sure of this, but I believe I may have the only signed copy of Clockwork Lives, uh, the graphic novel from Neil.
1: Wow, that's awesome yeah that is awesome so
0: did you get to meet him eventually
2: never got to meet him um to date the only member that i can say i've met was getty uh on the big book of bass tour and um i i literally they they didn't let us talk really you know so it was like you get that two seconds and the fist bump but i quickly said i was the editor for the, the water and he was there with ray daniels um here in la and uh he kind of looked at me and he goes, "Oh yeah, I've heard about that book. It sounds cool." And then he fist bumped me. And uh, <laughs> okay. my buddy, who was with me, who was standing in line behind me, is actually the guy who uh, optioned Clockwork Lives to be eventually made into something, hopefully a TV series. So,
1: wow, that would be amazing. That's it's perfect for TV. One would hope.
2: <laughs> I don't want to say too much because obviously nothing is happening as of yet. But
1: So are there any
0: other rush projects in the works, Mark, at this point or no?
2: There are a couple of things that uh, myself and Showtech have been talking about. Obviously, with everything going on, the publishing industry has been decimated um, by this uh, this whole experience. So I think everybody's kind of Taking a deep breath to wait and see, but um, I know that we would like to do more, and I know Showtech would like to do more, so there's a bunch of things on the table right now, but I, it's really up to Getty and Alex to decide uh, what goes forward and what, what doesn't.
1: Well, I'll, I'll try to send them emails. I send them lots of comments. Hey guys, let's get these projects <laughs> in motion. They'll, li- they'll listen to me.
0: So what we thought we'd do today on the podcast, and we really wanted to have you take part in this as well, Mark, is talk about the Rush concerts that we've seen over the years. You know, I was thinking about it today. It's been five years since Rush's last show, almost five years, which is hard to believe. And now with the coronavirus, when do you guys think that we'll see any live shows again? Start with you, Mark. When do you think we'll see live concerts again?
2: You know, obviously, I'd love for it to happen quickly, but I I honestly believe at this point that it's 2021 at the soonest, and maybe not even till halfway through. Because I think, I think you know, the testing is one thing, but I think there has to be a vaccine too. I mean, you get tested, you could like literally walk out of the testing site and pick it up. So what, you know, what is the point of testing? Almost, you know. Um, So it feels. It feels short-sighted and irresponsible to say anything sooner I think um, just from a safety standpoint you know
0: and how does that make you feel both of you what, what do you guys think about no live shows for maybe a year or two?
1: It's terrible I mean I I haven't God I was trying to figure out how many concerts I've been to I just didn't have the the, the, the page length to put all the bands down but you know i have gone to concerts every year for you know since i was 17 This soon like a drive we were going to concerts and we've been to a ton of concerts it's it's unthinkable to go like a year or two without seeing a live band i can't even imagine it
2: yeah i mean i i was lucky to see Right at the end of February, <clears throat> kind of right before all this happened, I got to see uh, a band from your neck of the woods, uh, Overkill, who I have been a fan of forever, but realized recently, because I, I, I love that whole thrash metal era, um, that I had never seen them. I had never seen them live or anything, and uh, was really lucky to be able to go to that show, got to go backstage, I got to meet the band, and it was so, it was so cool, you know, like we, we we took pictures together and we fist bumped and we shook hands and all that. And I'm like thinking, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> that's way I'm feeling now. It's like, oh, I, I hope I didn't get overkill sick, you know, or I hope they didn't get me sick. <laughs> um, but live music is such a um, it's such an important part of life, I think. I, I think it's an absolute must have. And the fact that we will not have it for a while is is very sad.
0: I don't know how you guys feel, but I always felt that I never really appreciated a band until I saw them live. There are so many bands that I I wasn't really that into, but then I went to a show and a whole new world opened up for me. You know, It just just changes your perspective on an artist when you see them perform live, I think.
1: Yeah, and I love it when uh, you go to see the opening band, and they're great too. That's happened a dozen times or more. I think I saw... God, this was in the, in the mid-90s. I think the headliner, it was at the, the Pony in Asbury Park. And the headliner, I think, was Widespread Panic. You know, the jam band, Widespread Panic. And the opening band was Blind Melon. Oh, wow. And it was bef- before their album came out. And, I was, and they were amazing. They were amazing. So I bought the album as soon as it came out. So what do you think it is, Mark,
0: about Rush? That made them such a, an incredible live band. How many times have you seen Rush? First of all, and what do you think made them so great live?
2: Well, I I realized I think in the past I, I <laughs> and this just goes to show that I'm probably getting old. I had just thrown out numbers about how many times I'd seen him because I had seen them so many times, and I I didn't. I'm not a um, I'm not a collector per se, so I didn't. I mean, I don't even think I have. Ticket stubs from some of the early shows I saw. Um, (laughs) Steve is holding up all of his ticket stubs. (laughs) (laughs) And so is Mark. Um, But uh, after going through wandering the face of the earth, I realized I'd seen him 32 times. And I think what made Rush so great live is you know how people look at us again, it's the whole, you know, nerd nerd thing, right? Um, you know, like, nobody likes Rush. They're not popular. We're nerds. Why are we so into Rush? And then you go and you see them live, and it's, and, and yes, the music is complex and, and beautiful and rich, and the lyrics are not, hey, baby, and the lyrics are complex and rich and wonderful. But they also, they're regular guys. They have a great sense of humor. They're 100%, at least from our fan perspective, the kind of people we all aspire to be—they're, you know, they're married to their girlfriends from high school. They're, you know, they've raised their children, and you never hear anything bad about Rush. They're not typical rock and roll stars, you know. And I think that aspiration of who they are, the inspiration of what they do, and all of those things combined, and then you go see them, and they're goofy, regular people, you know, and it's just. I think that it's like this magic compound that no other band could ever achieve.
1: Yeah, like when uh Getty used to do that little dance as he would dance around on one foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. They're nerds just like we are, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Well they're they're as uncoordinated as we are, but somehow coordinated on their instruments.
1: <laughs> the thing I always the thing I always loved about uh Rush Live is that it, it, people frame it as a complaint that the songs sound exactly like the records. But they don't really. I mean, it, it it's close to the records, but you see live music for the feeling, right? You, f- you see live music for what it does to you. And if you're standing right in front of those monitors and, and those speakers, it's a thousand times better than the record. And it they're just they're just the best. I it's- completely agree.
0: And what I was saying about seeing a band live makes you appreciate the band. I think seeing a song performed live is the same sort of thing. There are so many Rush songs that we we discussed this a few podcasts ago, Jared, that they've never performed live, but the songs they did perform live, the ones I saw them perform live, I just have a greater appreciation for those particular songs. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So what I thought we'd do is go through our own list of Rush shows that we've seen And share some of our memories of the best shows we saw. So Mark, you saw thirty-two rush shows. I saw I have proof of twenty-eight. I think I might be missing I might be missing a ticket stub or two. And I think Jerry, you're twenty-six, right?
1: Twenty-six, yeah. But my proof is your proof. (laughs) Mine (laughs) minus two.
0: So maybe we can pick five shows each that stand out for us and we'll talk about those shows. So Mark, why don't you start?
2: So I'd have to say the time, the 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 first time that I I saw them and I think really appreciated them for all that they were. It was a crazy concert on many levels. I saw them on Hold Your Fire, and um, you know they dropped the balloons from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Somebody threw a free T-shirt at me, so I got a free Hold Your Fire T-shirt out of that concert. And I also got in. I think possibly no, it was definitely probably ever my only. My last and only fist fight Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, at the San Diego sports arena is a very, it's a terrible sounding place and, uh, uh, kind of barn like conditions and they have a lower level that butts up against the floor and the lower level is probably about maybe seven or eight feet above the floor. And my friend and I, the guy who actually introduced me to of steel, um, We were on the very front row of the lower level. So we were looking straight on and right up against the the little barrier there. And, you know, we're rocking out and having a great time. And my seat was on the very end of the aisle. So there was this drunk guy and he was staggering down from above. And he was like knocking people aside. He he was literally like elbowing people and pushing people around. And I kept looking back because, I, you know, you notice the commotion kind of out the corner of your eye. And all of a sudden he was next to me and he was shoving me like out of his way. Oh wow. And I was super into the music at the time. And I literally just kind of turned around and I I I punched him. I don't even know where it <laughs> came from. I just punched the guy. He went over the railing, landed on the floor on his feet, looked up at me. And security came and grabbed him and took him out. Oh wow. You got <laughs> my, him kicked out? I got him kicked out. And I, I like part of me is I think it's hilarious, but the other part of me feels kind of bad because you don't want anybody missing a rush show because of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that was a that was a really good experience. Um, I'd also say uh, seeing them at Irvine Meadows, which was a terrific venue um, here in Southern California. And, uh, seeing Jack Black go up, stripped down to basically his underwear, jumping on top of the dryers, posing as the man in the star, uh, during the 2012 overture, that was quite hilarious. It was an excellent show anyway. And, um, you know, that was funny, uh, the rock and roll hall of fame, which I understand you guys were at.
1: Yes. Yes, we were.
2: <laughs> what a great show that was what a great night it was um my wife was actually thrilled to be with me at a rush show because oprah winfrey was there presenting for <laughs> <laughs> presenting for uh michael jackson's Purdue quincy jones yep. um you know it was just uh it was a perfect evening and um on the way home i i tweeted about how cool it was seeing that all-star jam you know at the end and seeing Getty Lee and Chuck D like banging their heads together, you know, like in in the rhythm during Crossroads. Right after I sent the tweet, Chuck D tweeted me right back. Wow! And he and talked about what a great night it was, and he started following me, and he told me like that he got to hang out with Getty and Alex and Neil backstage, and how great they were. And I was like, oh my god, why is Chuck D tweeting? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he needed to get it off his chest to another Rush fan.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, uh, that was just a cool night. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the, the final two shows um, obviously you know stick out to me for many reasons um, emotional. And my, my friend Ben and I, uh, you know, I, I should do a quick shout out to Ben Rab here on this podcast because Ben Rabb made sure that I never missed Rush, even in years where economically I probably should not have gone to Rush shows. He, uh, he made sure that I was at so many, uh, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, including those final two shows. And just being at that final show, you know, he and I spent most of that show either crying or laughing, or, you know, ho- holding each other, laughing or crying. And um, seeing all the famous people there, um, you know, that Danny Carey, uh, Chad Smith and Taylor Hawkins were literally, I don't know, three or four rows in front of us playing air drums the entire concert.
1: That's hilarious. That's hilarious. It was so cool,
2: right? And uh, seeing Robert Krieger from the doors walk right by. Um, Kevin Anderson was there. And at that point, we weren't even working together, but we knew each other. Um, and he was shocked to see me you know, right there, seeing Patrick Warburton walking around taking pictures of everybody, you know, because I think he was totally excited and starstruck and not really accepting that it was the final show, but accepting it. If you know what I mean? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seeing Neil get up from behind the drum riser. Like we, we, as soon as we saw that, we knew
1: that it was the final, you know, the final show. Yeah.
0: That's that iconic image you see too.
1: Yeah. He just never did that. He would raise his hand to the the crowd and just run off. Yep. So
0: Jared, why don't you give us your, your five shows?
1: Okay. I could do my best. Well, obviously the first one that sticks out is the first show that we saw on the...
0: Power Windows Tour.
1: Yeah, the Power Windows Tour. Because, you know, I hadn't really heard of Rush beyond what was on the radio. I didn't have any of their albums. And the way I remember it, Steve, is that I had gotten my license not too long before and you and the other two guys we went with needed a ride. Yeah. And so one of the, one of you guys was like, well, uh, Jerry just got his license. Why don't we ask him? (laughs) Is that how, is that how it went down? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was, I was the tag along just, just for a ride. And we were right on the side stage. Right. I think. Right. Yep. So we had a, a perfect view of Neil and, you know, we were on Alex's side and even though I didn't know any of the songs, I just sat there mesmerized by what I was seeing. I, I, was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. These three guys making all of this music and every song better than the last one. I just couldn't believe it. And from the first note, I was like, oh boy, I, I, I just stepped in something. <laughs> I, just, I just jumped into a big hole because we listened to Exit Stage Left on the way back. And then I think we drove around in the car for two or three hours listening to Edgar stage left. So, so that was it. And I, I would like to say that the next day I bought every album, but it was definitely, you know, over the course of weeks, but that was it. I was done.
0: That would be on my list too, but I'll list something else. Maybe we can go back and forth here, Jer. Yeah. Okay. Similar to you, Mark, the hold your fire tour. This is December 6th, 1987 also at the Meadowlands where that power window show was. Jared, these are the best seats we ever had for a rush show. Absolutely. The 19th row for Hold Your Fire. Again, as Mark said, the balloons. And um, Mark, this is a good story. We used to get these tickets at a surf shop in Long Branch, New Jersey. You being the surfer, yeah. the guy who owned the surf shop would open the doors a half hour before tickets went on sale. And he'd take everybody's name down. How many tickets do you want? And uh, he'd list everybody and what, how many tickets they wanted. Then when 9 o'clock, when the tickets went on sale, he would go in and punch in everybody's tickets.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> punch out all the tickets, make everybody wait a half hour, or however long it took, and then he'd take everybody's money. The nicest guy. I mean, wow. If he hadn't done that, everyone would be sitting up in the upper deck but everybody who went to that surf shops was sitting on the floor because he, he punched in all those tickets immediately. What a guy.
1: We always had great, uh, yes seats too, because of him, man. Yeah. That's, that's incredible.
0: But I would say during those years, 87, 88, 89, right around there, every show we went to, we were sitting, you know, within the first 20 rows. It was, it was amazing. So Jerry, you have another one for me?
1: I do have another one. I was going to talk about that, that hold your fire concert that we saw too because it was the first concert i had seen where i knew all of the songs and i was just a maniac <laughs> i don't know if you remember steve i we stood on the chairs oh yeah the entire time just on the chairs and nobody was getting me off that chair um, but i have to say another great show uh that we saw was the radio city show yes for the feedback tour uh partly because it was in radio city i mean I love seeing a show in a great old venue, especially one that has hosted the most amazing players in the world. And we had balcony seats, which I thought was great at the time because, you know, I get to sit down for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) That was my concern in the later years. But they just played spectacularly that night. I just remember, I don't remember any one song sticking out. I just remember the acoustics of the place were fantastic. They were playing fantastic. And the people around us were fantastic. Uh, And I don't know. It was just a great show. Magical.
0: Now, Mark, I know you lived in New Jersey for a couple of years. Did you see any shows in the New York City area? Did you see Rush while you were living here?
2: I did. Um, Actually, it's the only time I've ever seen Rush outside of the Southern California area. And I saw them on the Counterparts Tour at Meadowlands Arena, I believe. Okay. uh, maybe it was called Brendan Byrne at that time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's had a bunch of different names. We were probably at that same show, Mark.
2: Candlebox Open. Yep,
0: yep. Yep. I've got Friday, April 22nd, 1994, Meadowlands Arena. I bet you that was it.
2: That's the one. There it is. Yeah, and uh, I remember, the only thing I really remember of that show, I remember a couple things. I remember the heat from the uh, flames that, that would pop up uh, you know, on stage. hmm Cause I was in the upper balcony for that show. And um, I remember candle box being mood because they came out on stage to start the evening and they played the opening notes of fly by night and they immediately turned it into one of their songs
0: Oh, and the,
2: and the crowd went nuts, like so angry about that.
1: They probably thought it was going to be good and it did not go well. I remember that that was terrible. That was a terrible thing to do. It was like a prank. It's like, oh man. You guys, they they lost the audience with that move.
2: They really did. They really did.
1: (laughs) So I was going to mention next
0: the two Jones Beach shows we saw, Jar. We saw them twice at Jones Beach, June 20th, 1992, Roll the Bones Tour. And then 18 years later, July 24th, 2010, Time Machine Tour.
1: I'm definitely mentioning the Time Machine Tour, but go ahead. The two, the two
0: greatest Rush shows I've ever seen. Mark, this venue was on the water, Long Island, near Jones Beach, obviously. And the sound there was just incredible. And the atmosphere, the water. And I think that first show, it might have been the first time Rush played Jones Beach. And I think they were, they were inspired by playing there, too. I mean, it, just, it was just an incredible show. What do you remember about
1: it, Jared? Um, I, we had really good seats. I remember that. Yes, we did. We had pretty close toward the center, and we had our other friend Steve came with us, who kind of dropped out of Rush fandom, you know, after Signals, but we don't hold it against him. Um, yeah, the being there, I guess, is sort of like being at Radio City—just being in a place that sounds great, looks great. People would bring their boats and then like park the boats behind the amphitheater on the water and you just get a free show, I guess. And that was it. It was a it, the amphitheater, kind of the shell of it, right? Extends out over the water, and then the seats are, you know, go go up from there. But how they got that sound from that place, I have no idea.
0: And of course, on the time machine tour, they played Moving Pictures in its entirety, which can't beat that. Mark, you were going to say something.
2: I was just going to say, uh, Rush played a place in San Diego, kind of similar to to that uh, called Shelter Island. And it, it, it was the, I think it was the fourth time I saw them on the Test for Echo tour. They literally, they played San Diego, they played Irvine, LA, and then they came back around. There was a second leg of the tour and they played San Diego again. And Shelter Island, which nobody plays there. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's, a, it's a weird kind of oddball venue. It's, it's a little bit difficult to get to within wow. San Diego. But it's a similar setup to what you mentioned about Jones Beach, where it's an amphitheater. It's right on the water. The same thing. People were on their kayaks, you know, just kind of paddling around or on stand-up paddle boards, you know, in the background. And um, I distinctly remember from that show that Alex was having a lot of problems with his amp. So his guitar was almost drowning out everybody else's sound. And they didn't fix it until about five or six songs in. And uh, he kept like motioning off the side of the stage and then looking at the crowd and kind of like, you know, making jokes and stuff, you know, (laughs) because I, I think he, he thought it was unexpected as well, obviously.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Jared, your thoughts, anything else on your list? Oh, well, I was going to talk about the second uh, Jones beach show when they played um, moving pictures in its entirety, because Alex has said that one of the favorite solos for him to play is from limelight. And, at that place at that time he played that solo like i had never heard anybody play any solo ever before he uh, maybe he was in a really good mood but you know the way that that note toward the end just kind of hangs and starts to you know reverberate and vibrate it was just perfect from beginning to end it's my favorite song i've ever seen them play live
0: i don't recall limelight specifically that night but i just remember the whole show being amazing
1: yeah it was a nice night, too. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, Jerry, I'm going I'm to rub it in and mention November 6, 2002, Continental Airlines Arena. This is the only time, Mark, that I got to meet Getty and Alex after the show. Oh. I had a meet and greet. Jerry had something else to do. He didn't come. My wife and I got to meet Getty and Alex, and Jerry did not.
2: Your wife really appreciated it.
0: She she
1: did she did she had fun. That was the only time she saw Rush, and uh, she got to meet Getty and Alex. And and I think to rub it in, or to just be a a or something, she wore an American flag sweater.
0: She did, <laughs> which I didn't even realize until Jerry pointed it out a couple of weeks ago that that could be you know considered rude. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh man, that's didn't, great. it didn't
0: even occur to me. I wonder if Getty and Alex saw that and said, "Oh man, American <laughs> flag." <laughs> Is there anything else on your list, Jar?
1: Yeah, I'd have to say the Vapor Trails tour when they played Resist Acoustic has to be one of my favorite shows. Maybe not of my favorite show the entire way through because one of the one of them was at the Art Center in New Jersey and they have the worst sound it's another outdoor amphitheater but it's made for you know children's plays its sound is ridiculously awful but playing acoustic sounded amazing and i had never seen them play a whole song acoustic before it just shifted the dynamic of the whole show and then after that i don't know, i just thought about things differently and i definitely didn't like that song or the arrangement of it anyway on the album but when they played it live, acoustic, it's just a completely different song.
2: You know that that acoustic resist. I I, I love Test for Echo when it came out. Um, I, I I know I'm in the vocal minority of many Rush fans when it comes to Test for Echo. I think it's an awesome album, but that song it stunned me how good it was acoustically. You know,
1: I agree exactly. So Jerry, you got you got one more before we wrap things up. Yeah, I I do have what at least one more. I also was going to say the last two uh, shows that we saw on R40. I think, Steve, I took a picture of the two of us. We were in Madison Square Garden, I think, way up in the rafters. Were we crying? We were weeping like children. (laughs) No, it was was before the show, and I I took a, a picture of the two of us, and I put it on Facebook, and the heading was possibly our last Rush show ever. And it turned out to be almost true. We saw them a couple nights later in, in Newark, I think. Yeah. So one of my other great memories is when they played, was it Mohican Sun, Steve?
0: No, you know, I, I, had, I looked it up. It was Taj Mahal in Atlantic City. We, uh, That's we, what I thought it was. Yeah, it was. We told, uh, we told Ryan at Rush Fans a couple of weeks ago that we were at the Mohican Sun show. We were right. not. We were at Atlantic yeah. City, Taj Mahal. It was the same sort of setup though.
1: And we had great seats for that. And it was a small, quirky place. I don't even know what what they hold their banquets. It was a weird room. But we were close. The sound was great. And Clockwork Angels for me, you know, is a top ten easily rush album to think that these guys toward the end of their career could put out one of the best albums they've ever done is mind boggling to me and everything about that show with the, with the strings. It was amazing. I loved every second of those concerts to hear versions of like the Manhattan project. Oh yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I've
0: got two more on my list. The same ones Jerry just mentioned and similar to yours, Mark, you saw the last two shows in California. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: We, We saw the last two shows in New York, which was a couple of weeks prior to the California shows. Prudential Center, June 27th, 2015. Madison Square Garden, June 29th, 2015. And as you said, just an emotional night because we had an inkling it was going to be the last time we saw Rush. And the fact, and I think you saw this in the last show, they played Losing It at both of these shows. Jonathan Dinklage came up on stage with the violin and played an incredible incredible version of losing it. And that's one of those songs that I didn't really fully appreciate until, until I saw them do it live. How was it on that last show, Mark seeing them do losing it?
2: Oh man. Uh, I will say, you know, Ben will probably shoot me for this, but Ben and I were both, uh, both like looking at each other with tears in our eyes, you know, rush. It's very funny about rush in general. I, I can't think of too many bands that really affect me emotionally. Um, you know, Unless it's, you know, just banging my head and being super into it. Um, but Rush is a band that makes me feel things that uh, I don't normally expect to feel when I hear music. And I think, you know, he, the context of losing it, especially after the, emotion that, uh, the emotions that uh, I felt Clockwork Angels really dug up for me. Um, you know, Headlong Flight, which is such a rockin' tune, such an amazing song, it makes me almost cry because of what he's saying, you know, like all of the things that he's saying, you know, it's all the things that we think about on it as we get older and as we experience more in life, you know, and and hearing the garden, of course, uh, which is, you know, such a a deeply emotional song. I think it really gives a song like losing it that much more context. I always did like that song. There's very few fresh songs that I can say I'm not a fan of, Um, but I think you're right. Like, knowing the context, feeling the weight of the fact that you probably are at the final show that they're ever going to play. And then they play that song and you're just like, oh my God, you guys are killing me here. You know? yeah. Well, Mark,
0: thanks for reminiscing with us. We really appreciate you coming on the Rush Fancast today. Thanks so much. Mark Irwin, Rush Fan Artist, Executive Editor at Inside Editions. Thanks, Mark.
2: My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much.
0: So, Jer, Mark Irwin, he's awesome.
1: Yeah, he's a great guy.
0: He really is. He's a, he's a fan of the show, which we appreciate. He's a Rush aficionado, much smarter about Rush than us, which I appreciate, and just a great guy.
1: Yeah, and I wasn't kidding earlier on when I said that he's the unsung hero of this podcast, because not only did he you know, get us that first interview that went so well, he kind of gave us more confidence. Yeah, he did. He did. He gives he gives
0: me more confidence every time I talk to him.
1: Yeah. So, he's the best. He is the
0: best. You can follow us on Twitter at RushFanCast, Instagram the RushCast, email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. and Jer. I hope I hope you haven't forgotten. I did forget. Oh my god. No quote? We should ask, we should call back no we should call back mark you're a rush (laughs) fan okay you know every rush song there is come up with a quote off the top of your head give me a rush lyric off the top of your head here we go go
1: (laughs) come on you know every rush song there is i know i was just listening to rush today how about this one how about this one begin the day with a friendly voice a companion unobtrusive there you go perfect Thank you. Take it easy. Bye.